Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. Good morning, you're listening to The Last Agenda on FBI Radio for 2017, where your Saturday morning fix of art, politics, news and trash from a feminist perspective. I'm Isabel Hawthorburn. And I'm Katie Winton. So today we're, we're speaking from some very personal experience and looking at creative burnout, and it's definitely been a pretty big year for us, and we're sure it has been for you too. But don't worry, because we're compiling the most wonderful burnout playlist with advice from heaps of our amazing guests of 2017. So if you have any strategies for dealing with creative burnout, text us on 0409-945-945. Yeah, we'll be going through some of that a little bit later in the show. And strategy, um, and we have some very specific um, strategies from Melbourne writer Madeline Dorr. Last week, we heard from Emily Collins and Ali Murphy-Oates, two of the founders of Why Are You Winking At Me? A collective of women addressing strategies for dismantling sexism in the arts. Yeah, so on this week's Thoughts That Count segment, we're asking you as well if you have any of your own strategies. What do you do in the workplace to try and dismantle sexism? Um, personally, and City of Sydney Councillor Jess Scully taught me this one a few years back when I write an email, kind of go back through it and cut out every time I've written just and sorry. And I know this is pretty minor in the grand scale of dismantling sexism in the workplace, but I do think it impacts my ability to be able to clearly communicate what I can take on and what I can't. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's okay for it to be a minor thing as well. And I think that's what Em and Ali mentioned last week, that you don't have to completely like revolutionize your workplace right now. It's like one of those things where you can just take small steps to break it down. I've been this year, I've been trying to not be really secretive about like when I have my period at work and like there's like a day a month or something where I'm like not very good with like picking up heavy objects or being up a ladder or using machinery um, and so I'm trying to be a little bit more frank with my co-workers um, when that does happen and actually they're like super sweet and totally cool with it so it's maybe it's more for me dismantling my <laughs> own internalized sexism um, but it's been like a healthy exercise and just like looking someone in the eye and being like I can't do that today because I'm menstruating and they go Okay. It's very important. Yeah, I think it, it, there are some really minor things. I was talking about this with a colleague yesterday and one of her things that she's quite conscious of is when she writes an email and she uses the words us and we as in like she's speaking from a place of the organisation rather than from her yeah, like right. asking someone to do something for her personally. Um, mm. And she like we kind of were talking about that and not knowing whether that was a good or bad thing but it was something that she was quite conscious of in terms of like being frank about something that she needs done. Yeah, right. And kind of using the, uh, I don't know, I guess. Yeah, yeah. the collective of the mm. organisation to, because like thinking that people will respond to that. Interesting. That's really good. I'm going to use that for like my own personal emails. <laughs> and be like, we at my organisation yeah. would like you to keep We making, need this. Or just yeah. a kind of consciousness that there are more people involved yeah. in that decision-making process. Interesting. Um, well, there's more strategies from listeners and collaborators in our Thoughts That Count segment, plus this week's news from a feminist perspective in our segment, Go Home, Everything is Terrible. Except that this week, in a special <laughs> end-of-year exclusive, and because Katie and I have spent nearly every week of this year bringing you all the Me Too, Trump, Oscar So White, Roxanne Gay, Mamma Mia, Garbage Fire of the Bad News updates, and we're a little bit broken and fragile at the moment, so we're going to bring you the nicest news of the week. Yeah, only good news from this week. Um, 
So stick around for that. We're also, we're also chatting to Claire Pullen, the Director of Advocacy and External Stakeholder Relations at Family Planning New South Wales. Later in the show, if you want to know more about what Family Planning New South Wales do, and definitely stick around for that because they'll have some... Hot tips. Hot tips from them. Uh, right now, though, this is Melbourne band Totally Mild with their brand new single that debuted um, on Under the Radar on Thursday. It's called Lucky Stars, and it's the second single from upcoming album Her, which is due out on February 23rd. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. Lucky stars Driving back in the night with you Shining jewels We work hard for the chance to What we do
You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. This week we're talking about creative burnout and exhaustion. Yeah, we're really tired. (laughs) It's been a big year and we've been talking about uh, feminism on the radio every week. Um, And while we really love doing it, it can be quite exhausting um, because we care about it so much and we like work quite a lot throughout the week and we source a lot of content and a lot of the time people are talking about their own personal experience, their thoughts, um, gender, sex, feminism, sexism, identity politics. It's really nuanced and personal and pretty easy to miscommunicate sometimes and I think can be very stressful. Yeah, definitely. And it is because that we, we love it so much that it can be hard to balance um, other things. And I think you and I are not great life balances at the best <laughs> of times. But, you know, working full time and doing quite a lot of unpaid work um, and trying to maintain social lives and relationships and connections with our family can kind of pull us in a lot of different directions. I think over the last few weeks, we've both felt extreme forms of like creative burnout. Um, and we've had a really tough it's been really tough for us, both individually, but also like our relationship with each other and co-workers, as co-workers and also as, as friends. And I think it has been, oh, I've got a bit soppy, but it's like been a growing period, I think. Um, we've done a lot of just looking at our priorities and getting having some tense conversations <laughs> and screaming in the ocean and crying in the shower but it's been nice really nice to know because it can be like really overwhelming um but I think that something that has come out over the last um few weeks because we've been having conversations about how hard it's been is that other people have kind of talked about their own experiences of creative burnout and ways that they can make it a little bit less harder or that they the kind of strategies that they use to be kinder to themselves um, and to those people that they love during those times. Because I know I can be like particularly unbearable. (laughs) No comment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's this incredible article that Music New South Wales director Emily Collins sent me last week after she came in on the show and it's called Creatives Share Their Routines When Dealing With Burnout, Shock and Overwhelm. And it was written by Madeline Dorr, who's the founder of an online interview project called Extraordinary Extraordinary Routines, sharing conversations with artists, writers and entrepreneurs to better understand how to live creatively. Madeline's writing has a pretty strong focus on career advice and self-improvement articles, exploring creative living, productivity, psychology, self-care. And this article in particular is a great example of that. Uh, focus and we both read it this week and I think we both had a lot of light bulb moments in relation to our own lives and work and the fact that other people experience the same symptoms I guess. Yeah absolutely and there's some parts of this article that rang very true for me particularly the part where Madeline documents what happens to her when a deadline is looming um, during a challenging and chaotic period. Yeah I found that really interesting as well because for me that like these symptoms I guess seem to be rolling quite a lot of the time as Mm. well like working in events and things that are definitely more intense when I have an event coming up but sometimes it kind of feels like event after event and there's not really any give or yeah, ease. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to read out some of Madeline's list of things that happen to her when she's approaching the deadline and it'd be interesting if you can kind of, I don't know, see some, I definitely can. So feel extreme anxious for extended periods of time, sometimes days, become quite intolerant of mess, become quite intolerant intolerant of your wife, feel like you need to move house, city, country. I do this, definitely. <laughs> um, become very self-focused, feel heightened sensitivity to comments from friends and family. I also am like particularly partial to like making everything a personal attack on myself during a stressful period. Um, feel like no one understands you and you're alone, feel really alone, think the magazine is a pile of crap and you are terrible at your job. 
Wonder why the hell you're doing this? Become a fearful or hurt of hurting people with your content. Become fearful of public opinion. Become unable to work for hours on end, sometimes days. Burn out completely. Yeah, such an interesting list of things. And actually really um, helpful to identify those things mm. and write them down as well. And mm. she's also listed some strategies for things that help her. So in the list of uh, strategies that says what can sometimes help. First, let your loved ones know what's going on, including wife, sister, mum and friends. Secondly, consider setting an email auto response to ease the communication pressure. This is this has the added bonus of promoting the new issue release date. Um, she's an editor of Archer magazine, so this is kind of specific to what she feels when she's approaching a um, publication deadline. Get down on the floor and either just lie there or do downward dog followed by child's pose. Take, Big fan of the floor. Yeah, I love lie. the floor. Uh, take three deep breaths. Walk to Rucker's Hill and look at the city lights. Jog there if you feel up to it. Phone a friend. <laughs> I really like this part as well. See a list of friends that might be helpful. <laughs> Have dinner out of the house with a member of the support team. Buy fresh flowers and put them in a vase. Meditate, masturbate, book in a massage. If things get really bad, drive down to the beach. Get in up to your shins if it's not too freezing. Go to the mall and buy a cushion, plant a pot, new jumper, new socks or something. Um, take a yoga class. Yeah, I feel like we like implemented some of these this week. Yeah. Like, kind of did a bit of like ocean swimming. I was really proud of us for like, getting in the water when it was like a little bit cold. Um, but yeah, some really helpful tips from Madeline Dorr there um, about how to manage creative burnout. Um, we got in touch with Madeline in the lead up to the show and she also had this t- tip to add. A creative slump or period of burnout is not creative death. We go through seasons and it's natural to experience moments of low productivity. We actually need them to recharge. I think that is such good yeah really good advice especially in this kind of mode of production where Mm. there's so much kind of uh importance placed on being productive I think it's really important to remember that sometimes you need a bit of time out and that's okay and it doesn't mean that you're done yeah it's like an important part of the creative process is actually just having a reprieve and having a nap nap. (laughs) yeah and I think that that um that list of things is quite specific to her and maybe those things won't work for you Mm. and maybe they won't work for a lot of people but I think just going through that process of identifying the patterns in your behavior when you start to feel like that Mm. and what some of the things that you can do to help might be Mm. are really important and that's kind of what we've asked all of our contributors for um over the last few weeks who have been on agenda this year to give us some of their tips on how they deal with creative burnout. So that playlist will announce the release date for that playlist uh, closer to the end of the show because we also asked them for a song that makes them feel better. Yeah. And it's been really lovely. So There's good. been some really great Yeah, and I tips. feel like so well-timed. It was a really good yeah. idea of you to do that because like I, I think we got to like midweek and we were just like... <laughs> <laughs> and then like people started sending in like yeah. really nice songs and like really good advice. And it was just like... I was like reading it at one point point just being like this is so good (laughs) I just needed someone to be like now just go and like I can't even remember what a lot of it was it was like go for have a dance or like yeah it's really different it's also really interesting knowing the people who have sent in their tips and Mm. knowing their personalities and what makes them feel better as well Mm. like they're very specific to the kinds of people that I identify like their personality traits um anyway we'll chat about that later in the show about when you can see that list of tips and songs Um, play it all summer (laughs) we we will Um, but our producer is away in Japan this week so I've gone a bit rogue on the music choices Uh, but this is one of my personal favourite songs for getting out of a rut or when I'm feeling particularly down (laughs) so sorry Mari Uh, hope Japan's great this is Janet Jackson with All For You Shaking that thing like you never did see Got a nice package, alright Edit
three, two, one.
2018's About an Hour series takes over Carriage Works next January, helping you fit in as many shows as possible into one day. Experience everything from groundbreaking psychological virtual reality to award-winning smutty British and Australian comedy, primal circus and apocalyptic theatre. It all happens between January 5 and 28. For tickets, head to sydneyfestival.org.au. Sydney Festival, sponsoring FBI Radio. The nominees for the 2017 FBI Smack Awards have been announced. We've tipped our hat to five nominees across nine different categories for their unwavering commitment to Sydney music, arts and culture. Now it's your turn to pick out the best of the best. To have your say, head to fbiradio.com forward slash smacks. Vote now and you'll go in the draw to win tickets to the awards and a $300 voucher at Cake Wine Cellar Door. Sponsoring FBI Radio. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. It's time now for our feminist news segment, Go Home, Everything is Terrible. Except this week, nothing is terrible. (laughs) Um, I felt like a barrage of bad news from bad men over the last couple of months. So this week, rather than focusing on the baddies, we're bringing you positive feminist news only. Um, And this is, of course, a very biased news segment, which it is every week because we're not journalists. (laughs) (laughs) So in good news, uh, the Australian Senate has passed the Smith Marriage Equality Bill to legalise same-sex marriage with a massive majority of 43 to 12 um, after three days of debate and hopefully without any amendment. Um, So all the nasty conservative amendments that would have legalised new discrimination against LGBTQI uh, people were voted down. So next the bill needs to pass the House of Representatives where it will be debated next week. Um, But things are looking pretty good for Malcolm Turnbull to be able to keep his promise of marriage equality before Christmas. The internet lost its mind on Monday, thinking that Frank Ocean may have um, made another album. So Ocean took to Tumblr to share a pretty cryptic message. Um, well, I made an album before 30. I just ain't put that bitch out yet. In capitals. Um, he casually described the message as quotes from an interview I haven't given. Ha ha ha. Um, and then presumably he logged off. So the internet is kind of like going really... It's really excited, I guess. <laughs> the All internet the is going wild. On the internet. Why, why, but why is it about feminism? Um, well, I think Frank Ocean, like he's, he has for the last kind of, I mean, always really been pushing kind of gender boundaries in his, in his music. And like, even just like the demarcation of like blonde and blonde with an E um, kind of it draws attention to that kind of those gendered the gendered language that we use, I guess. And the title from the album was Boys Don't Cry, which invokes gender stereotypes. Originally before it was blonde, hey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so, I don't know, I think that he his work falls under the gender, I want to call it the feminism news, just because of the way that he kind of troubles a lot of those kind of assumptions in R&B music particularly. Yeah. And also he eats Pop-Tarts without frosting, so you know that he's kind of pushing <laughs> societal norms regularly. Um, Greta Gerwig's uh, directorial debut film Lady Bird has broken a Rotten Tomatoes record with a 100% fresh rating, which surpassed Toy Story 2 as the previous record holder of the most consecutive fresh reviews and zero rotten reviews. Huge. Huge news. Huge. Triple J changed the date of the hottest 100, so it's no longer on Invasion Day. The countdown will now happen on the 27th of January um, next year. And in 2019, the hottest 100 weekend will again be on the fourth weekend of January. Uh, Sydney band All Out X's live in Texas, who have previously contributed to Agenda in our Thoughts That Count segment, won an ARIA last Tuesday for Best Blues and Roots album, which is exciting news. Uh, Someone hung Lord's album in the Louvre. A dedicated fan hung the melodrama cover art right 
by some Renaissance masterpieces, which both physically and metaphorically fit right in. As a masterpiece. Um, I know that like we have both worked in like curating and art for many years, but I still never know if you say hung or hanged. Hanged? It's There's definitely a right way to say it. And I'm always <laughs> like, man, I know I really should know this one. If you know the answer, please text us. What do you do for paintings in an art gallery? 0949 um, The family court has ruled that transgender teenagers will no longer have to front a courtroom, courtroom in order to access hormone replacement therapy. So prior to this ruling, transgender children and their families would have to go to the family court in order to access the treatment, which was a pretty long, painful and expensive process. And like really emotionally draining and psychologically harmful to the child to the child having to go through that. Lydia Thorpe, Victoria's first ever Indigenous female MP, gave her maiden speech in Parliament this week. Um, the Greens member for Northcote started her political career with a powerful speech about minority representation in politics. By Junkin and the SBS, her speech is full of important reminders of the challenges and prejudice prejudices that Indigenous communities face and the policies and systems that perpetuate them. Uh, So there's a quote here from that speech. For an Aboriginal kid who grew up in public housing and left school at 14, taking a seat in this chamber is something I could never, I was told could never happen. Yeah, we'll post a link to where you can Mm -hmm. read the full speech. It's really beautiful. Um, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle will wed at St. George's Chapel in Windsor Castle in May. And I think we're probably yet to figure out what that means for feminism, but 2018, I think, well, there'll be a lot of think pieces about what this means about, like, colonialism, which, like, the British Empire has never, like, apologised for, or slavery or anything like that. So I think it brings up... Anyway, we'll find out. We'll find out. We're we're dealing with creative burnout (laughs) at the moment, so good news only. That's that's it. Um, Shalane Flanagan dethroned Mary... Katani on Sunday and became the first American woman to win the New York City Marathon since 1977, potentially ending her decorated career with her first major marathon um, victory. Uh, This is a really nice story because this particular um, Shalane Flanagan, this particular athlete is like a very strong advocate I guess of like women in athletics and she's like all about like supporting other women and um yeah, there's a good New York Times article about it. Um, but yeah, she's like, I don't know. It's good news. It's good news. It's in the good news section. It's in good news. In, in more good news, uh, this is probably my favorite good news story <laughs> of the week. Mariah Carey has received a multi-million dollar settlement from her ex-fiance, James Packer, because she says their split inconvenienced her. Um, so the couple were engaged briefly before breaking it off suddenly in October 2016. And it was reported that Mariah Carey was seeking a US $50 million inconvenience fee. And while the final number didn't quite land there, the first rule of negotiation is always aim high. So Packer reportedly paid somewhere between 5 and $10 million yes, to Mariah. Yes, do not inconvenience <laughs> Mariah Carey. Um, it's emerged that Pamela Anderson sent a bright coral faux fur jacket to America's reality queen Kim Kardashian along with a personal letter pleading with her to ditch the fur. Uh, She sent this, um, included this, the package included this note. As we ponder, this is in Pamela Anderson's voice. As we ponder New Year's resolutions, (laughs) won't you consider making a meaningful one stop, uh, meaningful one to stop wearing fur? You'd be settling a trendy, compassionate. You'd be setting a trendy, compassionate example. That voice sounded remarkably like your voice. My, it's funny. People <laughs> don't know this, but um, 
Pamela Anderson actually sounds a lot like me. Ah, interesting. <laughs> is that in the good news segment as well? That is good news. Isabel is Pamela Anderson. <laughs> um, that's all we've got time for on Go Home Everything is Great this week. Uh, <laughs> now we're going to play you a track from Charlotte Gainsbourg. It's called Deadly Valentine. Stick around for our Thoughts That Count segment up next. Oh 
just a thought, just a thought, just a thought, just a thought. Thoughts that count. Agenda on FBI Radio. What do you ask me? You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, and this is Thoughts That Count, where we want to hear from you about what you think about feminist issues. I think we need a catchier (laughs) (laughs) introduction for thinking about the things that you think about feminism. What do you think? (laughs) So last week we asked you to send in your strategies for dealing with sexism in the workplace and specifically in arts organisations, following our interview with Emily Collins and Ali Murphy-Oates about the Why Are You Winking at Me initiative. Um, And while the call-out generated a lot of support, many listeners found it challenging to come up with their own strategies, which for us um, brings up again this idea of where the responsibility lies um, with these ingrained, with kind of disrupting these ingrained behaviours. Yeah, we wondered whether it was fair to ask individual women to come up with the solution or whether we should be asking these kinds of questions of the industries and organisations themselves. And I think that was one of the points that really emerged out of um, Ali and Emily's interview as well is that they're part of a collective and they do have a network of support and they're aiming to kind of put that network out into the broader uh, communities so that people are able to mm. keep forming those bonds rather than it being a singular um Responsibility. Yeah. Well, one organisation that's risen to the challenge is the Theatre Network, New South Wales, who just published their Code of Behaviour to Prevent Sexual Harassment and Abuse of Power. Yeah, that happened just this week and the code was based on the Royal Court Theatre's uh, Code of Behaviour and isn't intended to serve as a substitute or blanket template for each organisation's own sexual harassment policy, but uh, Theatre Network New South Wales encourages its members to create sexual harassment policies like that are properly crafted and suit their own individual needs. I don't know why it says pop darts. <laughs> um, so I was kind of expecting that some of these policies can sometimes be a little bit vague, but I thought it was um, I was really useful and very specific how um, th- these particular guidelines are. So um, we thought we'd read out a few of them. And yeah, as I said, they're quite specific to theatre, but they're definitely um, applicable in other industries. And so I thought it was important for organisations to have codes of conduct that are specific to their own particular industries and workplaces. Uh, So one of them is, um, it is never appropriate for someone in a senior role to ask a person in a junior role to work outside hours in a private home or hotel. It's never appropriate to consider or portray sexual harassment as a compliment, which I think is really important. And it's never appropriate to send sexually unsolicited explicit emails or text messages to colleagues. Yeah, those few strategies are part of um, a broader scope of strategies that Theatre Network New South Wales has just released this week. And it's really interesting to see how much it stresses what is not a compliment. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of the confusion has come from. One person thinking that the actions are a compliment and another person being threatened by them Unless there are these kind of guidelines, then it's hard for people to know that, yeah. Yeah, I think it demonstrates why these kind of codes are not just important but absolutely necessary. And it comes back to what we were talking about last week about how it's everyone's responsibility to take preventative measures rather than someone's and often women's responsibility and emotional labour to address an incident after it's happened. Mm. I think that was, yeah, something that is has really come up for me a lot throughout all of this is how your behaviour might inter- be interpreted by someone else completely differently to how you intended it and even if you're not necessarily being called out for something really awful mm. but it's about having and I think people are starting to have those conversations where it's like oh no but that's a compliment and it's just something that I do and yeah. it's like yeah it's it's tricky but it, it, I, I think that's why those yeah guidelines need to come out and there's kind of codes because they can be very um, yeah they can be so deeply ingrained and mm. people yeah can 
interpret them so differently. Yeah. Um, and I think the why are you winking at me strategies complement a more industry specific code again, which is quite prohibitive. Um, I guess the why are you winking at me strategies that we talked about last week are very affirmative. Mm. So to reiterate some of those, um, some of those ones say practice sitting in uncomfortable silence and wait for the response. Include male, female, cisgendered, transgender and non-binary colleagues in the conversation. So sexism and sexual harassment is not only women's business, which I think is a really important one Absolutely. as well. Um, and it also includes a list of things to remind ourselves and others of. So one of them is that we are humans, not machines, and to normalise emotions. Um, sexual harassment is not a compliment. Again, I think that's coming up in like a lot yeah. of like guidelines and codes and just like advice is that really breaking down that idea that it's not a compliment. Protecting vi- victims is essential. Calling out perpetrators is equally as important. Calling out sexism can be difficult and can cause discomfort. The discomfort is not our fault. Does your do you have Does your organisation have a list of strategies or a code to deal with sexism or sexual harassment? Let us know what you think and whether it works and whether there's anything that you do in your day-to-day workplace activities to try and kind of dismantle sexism in the workplace. Uh, Text us on 0409 945 945. Right now, though, this is Hextep with Bitch Rising. Is there a, I guess there's a... (laughs) Small language warning warning on this one. Um, Stick around, though, because we're going to be talking to Claire Pullen from Family Planning New South Wales after this track. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. Yes, it's more digestible to demonise yourself and victimise the perpetrator that you despise.
Hextet just there with Bitch Rising. Uh, we're joined now by Claire Pullen, who is the Director of Advocacy and External Stakeholder Relations at Family Planning New South Wales. Thanks so much for joining us, Claire. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about what Family Planning New South Wales is and its kind of function? Sure. So we're the leading provider of reproductive and sexual health in New South Wales. So we have five fixed clinics in Sydney and throughout regional New South Wales. And we provide contraceptive services. We do pregnancy options counselling, STI screening, breast checks, cervical cancer screening, uh, sexual health function and sexuality counselling as required. Uh, Anything to do with your reproductive and sexual health, you can come in and see us and we'll talk to you about it. We have outreach clinics as well all throughout southwestern Sydney, which we're doing in partnership with the local health district. Uh, We are a clinical educator, so we teach doctors, nurses and clinicians specialist reproductive and sexual health things like how to insert an IUD. Uh, We have a research centre that takes all our clinical data and other people's data and turns it into peer-reviewed clinical reports, essentially, that influence clinical practice, that change how things happen uh, in reproductive and sexual health medicine. Uh, And we also have an international program which does capacity building overseas in the Pacific. So just a small amount of things. Yeah, just a a couple of little things that we do every now and then. Yeah, little bit. Just a small organisation. Planned Parenthood has also been in the news quite a lot lately because of the cuts to funding in America. Can you explain the differentiation between family planning and Planned Parenthood? Sure. So, I mean, you'd be aware that it's an unfortunate political ritual in the US that as soon as a Republican comes into the White House that they cut funding to reproductive and sexual health organisations, both domestically and internationally. So it's called the global gag rule. That's the colloquial name for it when they cut funding to the overseas aid program. Uh, There's, look, a general hostility, unfortunately, to evidence-based practice in this area. Um, There's quite a lot of evidence about what works with sex ed and contraception and pregnancy options um, and some hostility to that from certain parts of um, the political spectrum in the US. Uh, In functional terms, what Planned Parenthood do and what we do is quite similar in terms of we're a health provider in a specialist area. We're lucky, though, unlike Planned Parenthood, our circumstances aren't as politicised and we're not as on the radar as they are. It's not so polarising for people. Most Mm -hmm. people in Australia genuinely accept that contraception is a good thing and it would be better if women didn't die of cancer and that it's bad when you spread STIs. Yeah, right. (laughs) Pretty general rules. (laughs) Um, Can you talk a little bit, us, through the changes to the cervical screening coverage um so like what people are entitled to um and the kind of costs that might be associated with that sure and also the difference between sorry cervical screenings and the pap smear yes so i can i had mine yesterday i thought i was unlikely to forget if i did it (laughs) the screening coming in and we've been working up to this for a long time Um, it's a big project for us so the probably the biggest change that people will notice is that the screening test is going from being once every two years to once every five years excellent yes (laughs) very excellent Uh, new technology and new knowledge has developed to the point where you can actually go back a step in terms of the cancer process for cervical cancer so the way it works very broadly speaking this is not a scientific explanation but an explanation of the process If someone contracts HPV, the human papillomavirus, that virus can make changes to the cells of the cervix and those changes then can become cervical cancer. So the pap smear, which was named after Dr. Papanicolo, who's now like no name on his test anymore. I think he'd probably be a bit sad about that. (laughs) Um, What would happen is you'd do the, the test and your cells from your cervix that came off with a little brush when you were in there would go off to a lab and they'd look and see if the cells had changed. 
what's happened now with the new screening is we're going back a step and your cervix is being screened for the presence of the virus. So before you even have any changes to the cells, before it even looks like it's going to be a cancer, checking that and that's why it's so much more accurate, mm-hmm. about, about 30% more accurate, we're thinking, uh, and that's why it's going to every five years. So that is the thing that everyone's asking me about is, is it, is it really safe to wait five years? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> don't go in. Don't put your feet in the stirrups more than you need to. Great, yeah, great news. <laughs> yes. Um, what's the work that you're doing in the Pacific at the moment? Can you talk us through that? Sure. So we work in what we call a capacity building model. Uh, so we don't go in and build clinics and start operating out of them with our doctors providing services. So we train doctors, nurses, clinicians, community health workers in the Pacific to do the sort of work that we do here in New South Wales, but training people so that there's longevity of the skills and that there's a genuine community connection. Uh, and that way we don't have to do it for them, essentially. There's a, you know, the, the only disadvantage that a lot of the Pacific suffers is being behind in a range of ways that's you don't need to patronise me. Oh, no, we'll fly in a doctor and do yeah. it for you. No. Capacity building is the way to do it. And in general, these people have much better connections and much better ways of dealing with the communities than white people flying in and doing it to mm-hmm. them. So that's a really exciting model for us. Um, when we introduced cervical cancer screening in Australia, for example, we halved the death rate for women. Uh, but those rates are still about the same in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. So something like introducing screening where you train the clinicians and then they're able to then go out into their communities in the Pacific, we're already seeing a bit of a drop, which is great. It's very early days for that data, but we've screened about 15,000 women, trained 160 clinicians. There's really good work going on, and that's um, we always make sure that we're working in partnership with local organisations to meet their needs, and the Pacific is one of the areas of greatest need in the world. Uh, they don't get a lot of funding. People tend to forget about them because they're quite a small area. A lot of money goes to Africa. Not that there's anything wrong with aid money. There should mm-hmm. be more of it. More people should be getting trained and uh, more aid should be going out to help people where they need it. But the Pacific is an area where we're able to have uh, quite an influence for a small amount of money. So our donations, with people who donate to Family Planning New South Wales, that money is matched by the federal government. For every dollar that's donated, the federal government gives us five through the DFAT funding programs, and then we're able to take it out into the Pacific and train people and do that sort of work. Amazing. And so what does your international program kind of look like? Is it mainly focused in the Pacific? Yeah, it's entirely in the Pacific. Okay, right. Yeah. So there's different programs in different countries, though mm. there are threads that are through the majority of them. So the cervical cancer screening is one that's all the way through. Uh we do disability training to make local disability um, organisations, but also local NGOs, disability inclusive, uh, and to do reproductive and sexual health work with them. A lot of people, and this is not confined to the Pacific <laughs> by any means, but a lot of people forget that people with disability have sexual needs and that they have sexual feelings and that they're, they're open to the same range of problems and opportunities that people without disability are. So it's our disability program is something we're really proud of working with our partners to make sure that people with disability are included and have leadership roles and have control within their own organisations. Uh, we have a men and boys program which is aimed at addressing gender-based violence, talking to men and boys and leaders in the community about what they can do to address their behaviour and the behaviour of other men. Uh, and there's also just you, you have clinical stuff around how to do breast checks, how mm. to do a cervical cancer screening, that sort of stuff that we take for granted. Uh, but is actually not that present. But it also makes sense that you'd want people in communities to have that training rather than, like you said, flying a, like a white guy out to be like, listen, this is how you put in a whatever. Yeah, because well, it can be a very emotional like 
experience and very like loaded so yeah Yeah, absolutely and I think we see that even in um you know a lot of kind of doctors in Australia even you know like it is a very invasive and everyone has horror stories yeah absolutely being really dismissed by your GP and you know so it makes something that does require a lot of trust which sounds like it's a program that will take a long time to build as well which sounds really important our international program is relatively new we haven't been doing it for a long time and we identified a need because a lot of NGOs and a lot of funding goes to things to things that are capital investments people want to be able to fly in to Fiji and have a photo taken next to the insert name here memorial clinic that they built with their donation then fly back out again. Mm. Um, There's plenty of money or there's not plenty of money there's no plenty of money in (laughs) international aid but there's money for buying condoms and for buying pills and for buying IUDs and where the gap is is what do you do with them? That you we hear the horror stories about warehouses of condoms just expiring because there's no one to teach how they're used and what they're for and what you do with them they do have an expiry date and which way is the right way in when Mm. you're putting Mm. one on so we identified that gap uh, and that it was a relatively low cost intervention to start training I mean it does cost money I don't want to underemphasize that and that's why we seek donations is to start funding that work Uh, but it's something a lot of people like the simple way out which is you buy something that's capital or you buy a thing whereas the training is the hard one and look Mm. it's, it's unsustainable in my view to keep flying doctors and nurses out and then fly yeah. them back. They don't build the relationships. They don't build the trust. Mm. This so. might seem like a silly question, but... Uh, Which way does a condom go? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what I was going to ask. I was going to ask uh, whether an IUD is medical waste if it falls out. Because I was wow. listening to Call Your Girlfriend, this podcast, yeah. and they were talking about an IUD falling out and they mm-hmm. didn't. And I think they came to a conclusion that if they just had it still sitting there and didn't know how to dispose of it. I was just wondering wow. if you have an answer to that. <laughs> um, look, it's certainly if you rocked up to one of our clinics and said, I think this is medical waste, can this go in the medical waste bin? Not only would we do it, that'd be a story we'd tell for days. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> it does happen. It, like, yeah. IEDs do sometimes, very rarely, but they do fall out Well, sometimes. that's what I learned from this podcast yes. this week. So there you it go. was just, you know, a burning question I had. <laughs> well, and look, if it did fall out, you could always come in and see us and we could get you a new one. Yeah. <laughs> That's a nice spin on it. Um, we're currently in the 16 days of activism against gender-based violence mm-hmm. campaign. Can you, um, can you tell us what we can do if you, if someone we know or we are experiencing domestic violence? The first thing to do if someone confides that in you is to tell them that you know it's not their fault that anyone is using violence against them or that anyone is intimidating. I think a lot of the time survivors find it really hard to take that first step, and so you should always. Always the first thing you do is say, thank you for telling me a story. Mm. Uh, Next thing is don't assume that they want you to do anything. It may be that that's just their first journey or first part of their journey to tell someone. They don't need you to rush in and go, right, I'm going to put my underpants on the outside. I'm going to fix this for you. Yeah, right. Be with them in that moment when they're sharing that story with you. Then the next thing is ask them if they want you to do anything and what that is. And I'm sure you all know. Um, women who've had friends stay over on the couch. I know I have. Um, if they want to stay with you for a night, if there's somewhere you can go, if you can t- talk after the kids, mm. offer some practical help if that's where they're at. Uh, there's also a domestic violence line that women can call either for themselves or if a friend has asked them and they're not really sure what to do. So it's one 800 
and you can also Google it. There's a we might put website. a link up to it yeah. as well. It's on um, our socials as well because we've been doing quite a lot cool. around this and about um, reproductive coercion as well, which I don't think I'd heard of before. Yeah, so it's not necessarily a new term, but mm. I'm really happy that we're talking about it more. Uh, essentially, it's controlling someone's reproduction in a way that's on a spectrum with domestic violence. And it's actually quite common to see the two together. So it may mean someone's partner denying them access to contraception, so they do fall pregnant, or escalating violence during a pregnancy, uh, pressuring someone to not continue with a pregnancy that they want, any controlling behaviour, violent or otherwise, around what someone's choosing to do with their reproductive and sexual health. Uh, it's really common, unfortunately, in circumstances where domestic violence is already in play. But you should, if someone comes to you, similar advice about just saying thank you and, like, yeah. Yeah. Can I help? Yeah. yeah. Cool. We'll put a link up to that uh hotline as well on the agenda show page that's about all we have time for with claire but um isabel has one final question <laughs> oh you want me to ask that question? Do you want yeah, to ask yeah. It? no i was just I wondering like... <laughs> um can you if you could shed a little bit of light on the rise of gonorrhea amongst heterosexuals at the moment they just yes. keep giving it to each other yes absolutely look i think the first thing that's really important to note and my medical director was really clear i had to get this one out uh it's not a superbug so the rise in rates is not a new bug that's out there. It hasn't evolved or something. No, it, it's, it's, like... it's not Skynet in bacterial form. <laughs> it is just a rise in heterosexuals giving each other gonorrhea, as you say. Uh, the most important thing to do is get tested. Uh, most people don't know that women are generally asymptomatic for gonorrhea, even though men are mostly symptomatic. So, so they're not showing anything. So okay. women won't. So if you using condoms and regular testing is the way to go. Uh, it is rising. No one's quite sure why, though there's some new research that's coming out that I think will shed some light on it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, get tested, use condoms, not a superbug. Cool. Thank you so much for all of your very insightful tips uh, today, Claire. You're listening to Agenda <laughs> on FBI Radio. We've uh, After this track, we're going to chat a little bit about our playlist that's coming out late December. This is Jamila Woods with Lonely. In one second. <laughs> I can tell I 
to Agenda on FBI Radio. That was Lonely Lonely by Jamila Woods. It's our last show of the year. We're so excited. It's the last like two minutes of the year really. Um, and I'm just going to go straight to bed until we're back in on the 27th of January. I think I'm planning to delete my Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and just watch Secret Life of Four-Year-Olds for and two I'm months. <laughs> <laughs> and I just sold my car yesterday, so I'm going to get a ute. And cool. just do hot laps. Doughies. <laughs> That's my plan for summer. <laughs> I'm also going to go straight to bed, though, until we come back on the 27th of January, 2018. Please keep an eye out for our Feel Your Feelings playlist as well. We've asked lots of our guests from the year to send us a song that helps them when they're in a creative burnout and to offer a little bit of advice to us, which has been really a very lovely process. Yeah, the results are so good and definitely have helped me through this week. Um. Yeah, so that's out on the 22nd of December. So set your alarm clock and thank you for all of your texts and for listening to us uh, chat very extensively <laughs> for an hour a week on the radio for 2017. We're going to leave you with this new remix of Women's World by Sydney-based artist Akenyo. This one was remixed by Brisbane-based rappers Jesswa and Miss Blanks, who are kind of agenda favourites. Definitely. Um, you've been listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. See you next year. <laughs> We struggle with numbers. I heard you before. Wanted one shout out to all your daughters. I see how stressed from the usual lessons of life. Cutting the slip back and listen to our handy advice. Oh, don't take no shit from a boy that should be in your shadow. You ring supreme, live your dreams, and we gotta recover from the pain caused birth. And these boys say mama. Now here for this patriarchal drama. G to the I to the RLS. I see some of y'all hella stressed, hella stressed. Yeah.